0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Dojo Talks. On this episode, the three senseis are going to discuss Magnus Carlsen, world chess champion, chess impresario, and uh, man of many comments. Uh, We're going to, uh, last week, we already talked about the world championship match between uh, Magnus Carlsen and uh, Jan Nepomniachi, which just finished. And today we're going to talk more about Magnus. We're going to skip over some things that we may have talked about last week. We're not going to talk about how well he played uh, in that match necessarily, or it may come up, but we're going to talk more about Magnus as a person. And what I want to start off with is I want to ask Jesse and Kostya how they in general take Magnus's media statements. Like when Magnus says something to the press, whether it be my main advantage over Nepo is that I'm better at chess than him or I wanted the game to go long or I'm losing my motivation to play world championship matches or Farouge is inspiring me whatever it might be when he says things to the press how how do you take it do you think he's like messing with people do you think he's being serious do you think he's emotional do you think he's joking or you know how how do you take it when when Magnus talks to the world
1: hmm. well i I feel like Magnus, when he does, like, an interview, is generally pretty uh, straightforward. Like, he's known to troll people on, like, Twitter and stuff, and maybe in, like, little <coughs> clips. Um, but generally, I, I take him at his word. And I feel like he's actually just trying to be pretty uh, upfront and direct about what he's, what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he says, like, no one really motivates him except Firuja, uh I believe that because Farouz is like kind of new and and getting a lot stronger and it's been very impressive lately and everyone's noticing and even Magnus is noticing. And so, yeah, I I feel like he's pretty direct about what he's thinking.
2: Okay, and Jesse, you? Um, I don't, I haven't, I can't recall a time where I felt like he was being deliberately dishonest. Um, I think he likes to troll people sometimes, but I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's capable of being, like, deliberately deceitful. And what we're really talking about is this thing about him maybe not playing the world championship. He said, before this Faruja thing, let's just back up and say that a little bit, the subtext we're talking about is he says, recently, after the match, I'm thinking about not playing the next world championship, and I'm probably only going to do it if I face Farouk, which is an amazing statement. But there is a little history where he's talked in the past about not being so pumped on the World Championship, which to me, as a fan, is hard for me to wrap my mind around. So I think maybe even David, when he's saying, like, how do we take these statements? It's like, well, what am I supposed to do with that as a fan? I mean, this World Championship was the greatest chess event in chess history, so it was like, there were commentators saying it was boring or this or that. No, first of all, it wasn't. And second of all, there's never been the level of interest that we had in this. Maybe maybe you could say Fischer-Spasky, but still, this thing was worldwide. So much interest, so much interest in this match, way more than any tournament Magnus is going to play in for the rest of his life. Um, and why are we pumped about the candidates' tournament? Well, because... It's not only cool to see who's, like, the winner of some random tournament. No, it's like, who's going to face Magnus? People are fighting to play the candidates so they can play for the world championship. It's a real thing. And Magnus is dissing it. Ooh, and as a fan, I got a real problem with it. Okay. Um,
0: We can get to that a little later in the show. Okay. I just wanted to make sure to get a baseline here of whether or not, you know, you guys were, like, believing what he was saying or thinking that he's joking or thinking that he's, like, messing with people. Because in— on on chess, Twitter, and in other like chess media spaces, I often hear people like reading in like weird things into what he says. And I've always kind of agreed with the two of you that unless he's like joking, which sometimes he's joking, but when he's just answering like an important question, I just think he just says the truth and he puts it fairly bluntly. I don't think he's like trying to play mind games with opponents or future opponents or, or anything like right, that. Right. So I just wanted to get that baseline from both of you before we get into more things. So the next thing I'd like is your first reactions to Magnus not wanting to play a match against someone other than Ali Reza. I guess you guys probably believe him when he says that he's lacking a bit of motivation, but what, what are your other thoughts on, on that kind of a statement from him?
1: Um, yeah, I actually don't think it's a huge deal. And I don't think it's a given that he's just going to like forfeit the title if the next candidate is someone other than Ali Reza. Um, what I read him as saying is that like he would really like to play Faruja. And uh, I think someone is making this point that it's like he wants to play someone from the next generation. So he can like kind of beat some like one of the up and comers and say that he's like beaten everyone, um, which I think I think makes sense. I don't think Magnus forfeits the match if yeah, someone else uh, qualifies. Um, it was kind of uh, I mean, it's pretty surprising to see him say it out loud. Uh, I think people were kind of saying it for him. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, Faruja should be the next challenger," and and all this <laughs> stuff. Uh, and I totally get it from Magnus's point of view. It's like he has to wait like two or three years to play a world championship match, and then if he's not playing like the number two player in the world, like what's what's the point there for him? And like, okay, again, he has to like uh, not that the other guys aren't super strong, like Ding Loren, Caruana. I mean, they could easily beat Magnus in a match. Uh, certainly possible. But I think from his point of view, it's like, OK, he's already played these guys a million times. Yeah, it's not super fresh or interesting. I think he's already shown that he's a stronger player than Caruana. I think he's definitely shown he's a stronger player than Ding, even though you know they haven't played like this full match. Uh, I think the rating kind of speaks for itself. But um, yeah, from his point of view, it makes total sense that he wants to play uh, like someone who's really, really strong and can possibly outseat him. Um, cause yeah, if he beats them, then he's like, he's a real champ. Otherwise it's, uh, yeah, I can see how it's demotivating.
0: Yeah. And you, Jesse, I know this is more emotional for you than it is for <laughs> Kostia, but what's your
2: take? <coughs> well, okay. So we got to back up and say that Kostia on this show said something I thought was so dumb, <laughs> but I think Magnus might agree with him in some word level that yeah. Kostia was like, oh, world championship match, poo-hoo, no big deal. And then, you know, while it was going on, I was like, Kostya, look at this interest in the world championship match. Are you kidding me? There's something, though, and obviously I can't wrap my mind around what Kostia said, and I can only demean it, right? But, <laughs> but the same thing with, with what he's, with, with Carlson saying, there's something about it that he doesn't like as a player, And it's weird because, like, if you say, okay, he's played all these chumps before and it's not a real challenge. Dude, if you want to continue playing chess, you're going to play those same chumps again and again and again and again. (laughs) That is what's going to happen if you want to play tournaments. That's who you're going to play. You know, another game with MVL. Another game with Ding. Another game with Duda. You're going to play all these guys again and again. And do I kind of... I think maybe if I kind of wrap my mind around where he's at, it's like... He doesn't see somebody like Nepo being in his league and I guess, but honestly, he was gleeful crushing Nepo. It was, and it was great to watch. You know, it was great to watch because it just showed like, no, this guy, he can talk as much as he wants. His fans can talk talk as much as they want. Not on the level. Not on the level with Magnus. So then, you know, um, I think the candidates tournament's great. We're going to get somebody good. It's going to be, Ding hasn't even qualified yet, so it's gonna be Fabi, Duda, or too, uh, You know, yeah. And those will all be great matches. Yeah. And you know, let's remember, he didn't beat Fabi in one game. We had to go. We had to go to the tiebreak, man. We had to go to the tiebreak.
0: Yeah, Jesse, in your answer, you get a, like a thing that's kind of like tricky emotionally, which is like we're all kind of, you know, devotees of chess. And then if Magnus says something that we disagree with, it's like a weird moment for us, right? Because he's kind of like our God. And if he tells us something that we disagree with, it's like a weird, like painful spot, right? Like imagine you're some like super religious anti-abortion person and Uh like Jesus reappears and is like, abortion's cool. Well, not only that, but- you
2: You can stop complaining about it and you would just be like, what, <laughs> but there's all, and there's also the memory of past trauma because of what Short and Kasparov did to the whole system circa 1993 or whenever it was when they mm-hmm. blew it all up, yeah. And that really created all kinds of nonsense. And then FIDE did all its crazy stuff in the 90s and did these sham world championships, and so like. That was in a way Kasparov's little flip out moment that cost the world all kinds of stuff, the chess world. And now I feel like that's what's on the horizon as a threat from Magnus and I don't really understand my, like Kasparov, May obviously motivated by money and wanting more control over the process itself i get the motivations even though it was a terrible thing and especially in hindsight to do but with magnus i don't really understand his motivations you know yeah yeah hard for me to get around so i i'm pretty certain that that
0: coast is cool with magnus doing whatever he feels like based on his motivations. so this question kind of only goes to you jesse but like Assuming Magnus is just not motivated or interested to play a match with Caruana or Ding, mm-hmm. and one of those two qualifies next,
2: uh-huh.
0: like, what what should he do? Should he, like, grin and bear it for everybody else? Or, like, you know, see a therapist about motivation? Or, you know, what, 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 what would you like to see him do with that situation if he's
2: truly not interested? I mean, let's say this. I think it is true that if you are better than everyone else for such a long time. And let's remember that Kasparov was better than everybody else, but Karpov really was on his heels that, that entire time. That entire time, you think about Karpov winning Les Palmas with an incredible score in, what was it, 94, or something like that, you know? And won um, Lenaris. Lenaris. So, you know, the um, there, there isn't that guy. There's a bunch of guys It's not clear who the guy is. And so I've always wondered for Carlson, like, what does he need to take his game to the next level? Like, how can he develop his game in a way that he already hasn't? And I think what's going on is he is setting himself interesting goals. And what kind of way he's framing it after this match is, hey, it's not so much the next world championship I'm I'm after. It's the rating of Mm 2,900. You know, which... I don't think it's possible, but it's kind of cool to see him try. And he's yeah. also setting himself this challenge of like 2,900 and Farouja. It was an amazing moment, right? When he calls out Farouja, he's like, Give me Farouja. Give me that kid. Yeah. I want him now. It was like, Oh, damn. Oh, damn. And it really, it's the mark of a competitor. Whereas for me, I'd just be like, Oh, I just want an easy next world championship match, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll and and our
0: very next topic is the twenty nine hundred piece. But mm-hmm. but what should he do if the if the candidate is like Ding or Karwana and he's not interested? What what do you, what do you want him to do?
2: What I think is if he abdicates the throne, I don't think he'll be able to watch as Ding and caruana, or maybe it's somebody else fight over the crown. Like I don't think he'll be able to watch it and then not be world champion.
0: So you think he'll be like torn, not really
2: motivated, but
0: in the end he'll be like, no, I can't I can't just let those guys play for the quote-unquote world
2: championship? I mean, you never know, man. Like Fisher leaving is still so weird. It's still so weird to think about. And yeah. Magnus, it, I don't think he's ever deceitful or like we were talking about like that, but I think he is a weird dude. I <laughs> think he can jump over the cliff. And one of the things too is like, we'll talk about later is like how long can the dude last at some point we're going to do a dojo talks about aging in chess and you know he can't he won't last forever he might be able to last 10 years maybe i mean he's that Mm. much better than everybody else maybe he could last another 10 years but in any case at some point you know people will say if he leaves he'll be like you're scared just like they said about fisher which might have been true that might have been part of it yeah. That's such a ridiculous argument, though. <laughs> I was just thinking, like,
1: there, there's. I, I see lots of people, uh, like online, saying like, oh, Magnus, he's like afraid, or like he doesn't want to lose his title, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. like, he, when asked a few years ago, pushed for a system that would essentially make like he just wanted the World Cup to be the World Championship. He was like, just make the World Cup the World Championship every year. Just make it a knockout tournament, which he's never won, by the way. <laughs> so he's like advocating for a format that he's never won. That's like way more volatile because, you know, the World Cup is like so many different matches. And it's often like, you know, one out of like the top 10 that makes it or something like that. But um, it's like totally doesn't favor him at all. In fact, it's likely that he doesn't win it, you know, mm-hmm. um, despite being the highest rated player. So. I feel like Magnus' motivations are very sporting. Like, I think he just, he wants chess to be, like, a good sport. On the other hand, you know, it doesn't make sense that the world champion should be able to choose the format of the world championship. (laughs) It's like, it should really be up up to Magnus. So I am a little bit, like, yeah, I don't quite like the feeling of like okay if the world champion doesn't like the system then you know they just change it to to acquiesce to whatever he wants it's great if you have like a benevolent world champion someone who's interested in the sporting elements but it's not great if you have someone who yeah just wants to stay on the throne as long as possible um like with lasker (laughs) (laughs) for example i I wasn't there you know i don't want to call him out by name but (laughs) oh really (laughs) i thought for sure you were thinking about him uh, you know, just one of a couple of names. I mean, uh, you know, Bodvinic was favored from mm-hmm. you know oh, a yeah. good champion world ball. champion. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think like it, it's weird uh, that the world champion says they don't want to play, and now we're like, oh shoot, we, <laughs> we got to change the system now. Um, it has happened before with Magnus when he was the number one candidate. He didn't want to play the candidates, and they changed the system uh, after that. I think there is yeah there was something wrong if if he didn't want to partake um yeah so
0: i think i think in terms of the question that i was asking jesse i have a slightly different opinion than jesse which is that if the guy doesn't want to do it like i'm fine with him not doing it i i'm more interested (coughs) in people being like true to what they think than people just trying to like follow or fit in with you know, other traditions or, or what other people want from them. Would I want him to play the match? Of course. Like Jesse, I would be hoping that at the last moment he's like, yeah, okay, I'll play, you know, as far as me wanting to watch it. Yes. But I think overall, you know, and and Jesse says that the Casper split was like trauma. And to me, again, that was like a good thing. Like, I think every time people just, you know, do what they actually feel it's, it's like better. And it, and, and the kind of shakeups that come from it, can move us towards better things and you know considering more different opinions and ideas um, but let's let's move on to the 2900 thing now so he sets as something that is motivating to him the goal of reaching 2900 there was a lot of talk about that about um, six years ago when he was at 2880 mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. six and a half seven years ago um, there was a lot of talk then, and then the talk died down. Uh, and what do you guys think of that goal? First of all, just whether or not it's attainable. Can Magnus reach 2,900?
2: I think part of the, the reason it's a little funky is that the question of 2,900 is not simply one of strength. It's to what extent is the rating system itself inflating simply due to the higher, the bigger pyramid of the chess world that we have now, i.e. more players, right? More players means the ultimate highest rating will be higher, so like, even if he gets it, it would be like, oh, well, part of that was due to rating inflation. No one thinks that Fisher's rating of 27, what was it, like 2730, is lower than twenty today's twenty eight sixty. No, come on. That back well, in the day, twenty seven thirty was amazing. You well, know. hang on. Fisher Fisher was twenty seven eighty five.
0: Um, and mm, you sure about that, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if you and 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 the Fisher case is a little bit hard to say because he was on like a really hot streak and. Mm-hmm. You know, if he'd kept playing for like a few more months or another year, his rating might have gone up higher than that. Right. So but also he only played at that level for about a year before that his rating wasn't that astronomical. So it's possible that his rating hadn't caught up to how good he was. And it's possible that it was a fluke in the next year. He wouldn't have been quite as good. Like it's not easy to sustain a performance for 10 years, you know, compared to one year. So Fisher's like a tough case. But but for for the question of rating inflation, which is a baseline for this 2,900 question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so originally in my notes, I was going to ask that first. So we'll, we'll back up to it. I'll ask each of you. Like if you take a random player rated 2,650 30 years ago and a random player rated 2,650 now, do you think one or the other is highly favored? Do you think there's like serious inflation or deflation or it would be in the realm of a toss-up? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like they've they've
1: studied this, uh, so I don't want to. I definitely don't want to speak to the numbers. Um, my feeling is that there isn't um, significant rating inflation at the and uh, like feed date, like over the board chess. Um, our friend Todd Bryant, strong chess, he posted a really interesting blog just like yesterday or something. Um, he analyzed like a bunch of. Uh, uh Lee chess users and he found that like on lead and i'm guessing the other online sites as well they do have some serious rating inflation it's like an average of like 230 points that mm-hmm. yeah, people have gained in like the last year or two and he attributes it i i think to um just the flux of new players lots of new players coming in everyone's rating goes up right. uh, a bit the top, the top <laughs> level though I, I don't know i mean because like yeah kasparov who had 2851 in like the 90s and uh you would think if there was inflation then there would be a few players that have like hit that mark by now unless it's just moving super super slowly
0: yeah i mean if there's been five points of rating inflation then you can answer the question as like nothing significant right like if you think it's that slow yeah. moving like five points every 30 years um mm-hmm.
1: yeah but it's weird because it kind of ebbs and flows because there are moments like we had moments when we had like two 2800s and a couple players are like really close, like 2797 or something. Mm-hmm. And then we've had moments where you have like Magnus at like 2840 and then everyone else is like under 2790. <laughs> it's like kind of surprising. Um, I will say, though, if you take like the average club player like 1900 and compare them to like a 1900 of before, I feel like today's 1900 is stronger. Mm. I feel like I've heard that from other players. Uh, as well, just like general knowledge is, is like increasing throughout the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you would say like, there's some noticeable rating deflation at club levels.
2: Hmm. Yeah,
1: I feel like it might even just be different um, across various levels. But, mm-hmm. right, for me, it, it definitely feels like if you're not working like really hard on your chest, you're likely to go
2: down. <laughs> Maybe the easiest way to see that inflation is in fact happening is look at the inflation of the GM title and a good thing that every GM knows this is like if you want to uh, evaluate your GM title put the year next to it in which you attained it so for example I got the GM title in 2007 it is no doubt to me that somebody who got their title in 1997 had to work harder absolutely you just look at the list of names 1987 oh buddy That was really hard to make GM in 1987. So 2,500 is a rating you need definite. It's still hard to do. And for me, just getting back to 2,500 is its own little task. But reaching 2,500 now is much easier, much easier than it was back in the day. Um, Yeah, there just simply weren't even that many players over 2,500 back in the day. You know, there just weren't that many, which makes the Fisher rating even that much more asto- astonishing. Like a little back in the day, Tall's rating was like 2550, you know, you know, come on. <laughs> it's 2550 right. in today's standards. All right. So I'm going <laughs> yeah. to pull us back to Magnus.
0: Okay. But as a baseline in, in like talking about this 2900, Jesse thinks that there's been noticeable inflation. Yeah. And uh, I'm in Kostya's camp of thinking that the ratings are about the same. Mm, okay. Like like, nothing that you can easily just like look at it and say, oh, yeah, clearly stronger or clearly weaker. So. Yeah. Okay. So with that said, Jesse, can Magnus reach 2,900 with a little it,
2: inflation and in the opponents he's got? Let me say this. I think for him to actually improve his level of play, which is now amazing, I think it would be – Really difficult, and if he were actually to improve, it would need maybe some kind of competitor like Ferruga to push him. I think there's been several periods in Magnus's career when it's like, I think he's been at a loss himself. Like, how do I get better? He obviously loves to play, uh, loves to look at chess, but like, when you start thinking about his game and be like, well, what part of the game could he improve on? It's hard to say it is very hard to say where he could improve man i don't know (laughs) i don't know i wouldn't if i would imagine being his coach almost every other player i would have some ideas of like okay we can think (laughs) about this or that i don't know if you're a coach and you sit down with magnus like obviously you could look at games with the guy you could do a variety of different things but like what concretely about his game could you improve i don't know i don't know i would have magnus play like an AI engine that plays at 2,900,
1: 3,000 Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Like they have these like new like human engines now that try to human level. Uh-huh, I yeah. Would, I, don't, I would, <laughs> that would be my, that
0: would be where I start. That's interesting, so, yeah. yeah. So you'd just like, you'd just push him like that by giving him like a competitor and just see how he can like adapt. Yeah. To that level uh, I, and what he can pick up.
1: I mean, I don't know, I, I'm with Jesse though. I think if Magnus had like a crop, like if Caruana, Ding Loren, all just, like, the top most promising, like, kind of younger players. Duda, Ferruja, Esipenko, Hans Niemann. If all these guys reach, like, 2,800 and there's, like, five or six of them. And then Magnus has, like, this motivation to just, like, crush these, like, lowly 2,800s. Then, yeah, great chance. The way things stand right now, it just feels so hard mathematically. Like, it's just exponentially so much more difficult. I think someone wrote on Twitter, like, against today's top ten or something, Magnus has to score... Six out of nine to break even, something like that. Right, right. So that means like every tournament, he just has to like just has to be perfect for him. Just like six and a half, seven out of nine, seven and a half, mm-hmm. just to slowly accumulate points. Right. And chess is so drawish; it, it's it's hard, you know.
2: Yeah. Like
1: Magnus is amazing, but he he
2: doesn't always win. You know, rook and four versus rook on three. <laughs> It's, and it's and you, not, you just take the Nepo match as an example. I mean, Nepo really completely collapsed. And with plus four, Magnus only gained nine points. Not that much win, plus
0: four. Every win he had canceled out four draws. So <laughs> that means <coughs> Nepo, he would have to score 60% exactly with their pre-match ratings. 60% exactly to not gain any rating points. Mm-hmm. Um. So, And then we imagine like at some point his rating would be like 2880 and he would still need to gain another 20 points, right? And then the ratio would be like 65% instead of 60 just to break even. So to go up, he's needing to score 70%. So like Kostya said, that's like six and a half out of nine to maybe like come out ahead one or two rating points. Um, yeah, so Kostya, you think too too difficult with the current – with the current mathematical landscape of the next two to three years?
1: Yeah, I would say it's pretty unlikely in my view. That said, I would love to see it, mm-hmm. but I don't think Magnus can do it. I'm just gonna call him out. I don't think you can do it, Magnus. Okay. So I, I really hope you make it, but I don't think I don't think you can do it. And I hope he hears yeah. these words and I hope it motivates him even further. Yeah. <laughs>
0: When he was 2880, I was all about 2900, but at that, that time he didn't really hard. like talk about it. And in this interview just now, he also said like, at the time he didn't like really like take it as like a serious challenge himself. And at the time I was like screaming, I was like, dude, you could do it, you <laughs> could do it. It seemed possible for a moment then. Now it seems less possible. Yeah. But uh-huh. I know, but,
1: but someone like Faruja, to me, it's like his potential is just uh, totally unknown. Right. Right. It's, like, it's just like no telling. Like he's going he's gonna to take another step up in the next couple of years. And that's going to be very exciting to see what, what kind of level he reaches and what yeah. kind of games he starts playing.
0: Yeah. So I think the clock's taking on Magnus. Like we're already like thinking about like how long can he last as number one as opposed to like how much higher can he go. Um, so I – I would give him, like, a 15% chance to hit 2,900, 15 to 20%. Um, Just because I think motivation is a big part of, like, his fluctuating strength, right? Like, his, like, chess is always amazing, right? But then sometimes he goes up or down 30, 40 points, Um, right? His range is from 2840 to 2880, approximately,
2: 40-point gap, so... I think um, the other interesting thing about it, too, is like when you think about where Magnus is better than the rest of the world, it's like the ability to not make mistakes and to play technical positions really well. If you dropped him in a tournament in the 80s where they were making draws in positions that he's playing on, he would wipe the field. Man, He would just crush those guys. But now, when you think about the young kids coming up, they've grown up watching his games and learning his skills so it's like his talent everybody knows where it is it's not like an unknown thing so it's like you're facing the guy you know you kind of know what you're up against and I think you look at the match with Karyakin where Karyakin I think was the worst player Karyakin delved deep into understanding the strengths and weaknesses of Magnus and the I mean, he basically survived and he did survive until tiebreaks using that. And I think there's so many players out there when he plays these matches or, excuse me, these tournaments where, oh, man, it's going to be tough to score a significant amount on those guys. Really tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And probably everybody like prepares <coughs> for, the for him than for anyone else. Right. Like everyone's kind of gunning for him. They're all motivated by him, even if he's not as motivated. Right.
2: Yeah. He motivates everyone. Like
0: pretty small chance, but I'd love... I love that he wants to try something that's like actually that challenging. And I think that's part of what makes it motivating maybe mm-hmm. is it would actually be a challenge for him. Um, okay, um, so I, I another related question for you both. Like, do you think that Magnus is currently at his peak or when was his peak? What What, what do you think of in terms of like the best year of Magnus? <laughs> yeah interesting question um you know i was really
1: impressed by i think 2019 magnus the year after his match with caruana where he had like amazing year he like won every tournament he like dominated it might not have been his best year like i think he like okay for him he famously said like he he liked the 2014 magnus a couple years ago when he was like approaching uh 2880 and stuff um but to me, the more recent year is just more impressive because like people have now had years to play with Magnus and to get better at defending against them and kind of matching his style. and he's like raised the level of everyone around him because he's forced all these guys to like defend end games for years and years and years <laughs> improving their their own end game skills. So the fact that he was able to like kind of jump up and play significantly better in 2019, also the way he was doing it, just like checkmating everyone with Black and the Sveshnikov, even though like they know it's coming, they had like they saw the world championship match, they know he's know. playing this opening, they're like all like preparing for it super heavy, and he's still just like outplaying everyone. Um yeah, for me 2019 was was a pretty sick year.
2: Um, I would say like 2013, 2014. That was the first time he reached like 2880. And uh, I honestly believe that 2880 in 2014 is higher than 2880 now. So yeah, that, and that was where he just, he beat a non, he was just killing everybody. And I, I just pulled up his chart too here, and that was kind of my memory of it. And it really hasn't moved since 2014. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say 2014 was his peak. But honestly, like, he hasn't yet shown clear signs of cognitive decline yet. At some point, it's going to happen. And maybe there's times I'm like, oh, it's starting to happen. But then this last match, dude, he was so on it. He was so on it in this match match. I was like, well, he's not slipping yet. You know, I mean, I mean, he's so
1: fit, right? Like,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. If he starts slipping, it's got to be like a psychological thing because it's just just not feeling it. Not in the zone.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like his his like descent from 2014 to 2018 was probably lack of motivation. You can tell from my other comments about, you know, Magnus, like I think it's like his motivation that comes and goes a bit, not like his skills or like his calculating form or something of that sort. I really think it's motivation with him. Uh, I mean, by guessing, not cause like I, not cause I know, but, um, but, uh, for me, 2019 was fantastic as a good sign of him sort of like finding motivation, again, pushing himself back up. I hope 2,900 gives him new motivation. Honestly, I think he could still have his best year in the future rather than in the past. Mm-hmm. But as far as pure quality of play, 2014 was probably a little bit better than 2019, even though 2019 showed really encouraging signs to you know that the fire was still there. Um, one, one related question to this. Um, so we've talked about the World Championship. We've talked about 2,900. Is there anything else that you guys feel that there's left for Magnus to do in the chess world? Is there something else that you'd like to see him try and do or accomplish?
2: Huh, that's interesting. I want him to keep playing the world. Hey, Magnus, you gotta mm-hmm. respect the world championship title, buddy. This thing <laughs> goes back hundreds of years. You gotta defend your title, bro. You gotta right. it as long as you can, and then you prove yourself to be the GOAT. If you, if you abdicate, people will always question. They will not understand. I won't understand. And then your status, dude, that little little goat icon they put next to you on Twitter, it will vanish, my friend. It will vanish.
1: You're right, Jesse. People rarely understand. (laughs) (laughs)
0: understand. (laughs) That's so true. Okay. Anything else, Jesse? You want him to defend the world championship title for the longest ever. That's a good goal. And one thing we got to say about
2: Magnus that is interesting is that Kasparov always dreamed of like controlling the process and making money. Dude, Magnus is schooling him on that regard. I mean, Magnus is schooling him. That guy's owning everything in the chess world. Play yeah. Magnus is a massive thing now, dude. I don't even know what it's worth. I just know it's worth a lot. It's a big deal. He owns 115 more $115 things- million dollars is the market cap. Holy moly. Yeah, I didn't even know that. So that's,
0: that's it's like... It's a publicly traded company for one year now. So wow, he has, he has Kasparov had several versions of KasparovChess.com, right? I think he's right. relaunched Kasparov Chess. So he definitely wanted to control the business market and the FIDE political market and the chess world on the board, like all yeah. three. Magnus seems less interested in controlling the political thing at all, right? Like he'll say his opinions, yeah. but he's not, he's not like putting his cronies into... Into the yeah, yeah, positions, yeah. right? Yeah. Um but I mean off the board he's like made a lot more money than 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 uh any players, anyone ever. else, right? Yeah. Um so Yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be so funny to see Magnus like
0: running for Fide president. I just can't picture it. No, he's not interested. <laughs> he's not interested. Right. It's like please give me a job that's boring that I don't care about and that's really annoying. That sounds like exactly what Magnus wants. <laughs> <laughs> the coast to you. Is there anything you'd like to see from Magnus? Anything that he still has to do in the chess world for you? Um, I would
1: like to see him lead Norway to uh, an
0: Olympiad title.
1: Think, uh, he's a he's a LeBron fan, and people are always criticizing LeBron for not <laughs> leading his teams to the title. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be that would be cool. See him maybe recruit some players, or you know, get some train some players up in Norway. Or we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> recruit some players. Yeah, can you imagine if Magnus convinced Perugia to switch to to Norway? He's like, play for our team. We'll train together. Oh man, who's gonna be first board?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think I think honestly, it's better for them to be on separate teams so they have someone to like fight against, <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need like a true like rivalry no sharing prep you know no working together yeah okay yeah maybe duo actually that's a good choice to recruit <laughs> right for, for norway <laughs> yeah that that'll transition us to our very next topic but first let me tell you what i'd like to see magnus do in the chess world because i've got a long list okay mm. i want to see magnus like if he's not motivated enough if he's like bored to play a match against dingley ren or fabiano caruana i want to see him give them odds I want to see him give them like time odds or they start with one extra point or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like show us this gap, you know, if there's a gap, make it interesting. Um, you know, when I play somebody rated 800, I give them odds so that it's more interesting. So when he plays somebody (coughs) rated 2,800, give them odds. Also remember when Kasparov like demolished Olympiad teams and clock simuls. Yeah. That was Mm -hmm. cool. Do it, Magnus. Magnus is a huge fan of rapid chess and where he touches my, you know, heartstrings in a bad way, Jesse, Uh is when he prefers like rapid chess and blitz chess to classical, you Mm, know, mm -hmm. like, I know it hurts you, right. With the, with the world title, when he's like, he's playing the world championship match. Jesse, And he's like, I was just thinking how fun it would be to play the world rapid next month. Like I was just looking forward to it. Like like, what, what about the snack in front of you? (laughs) You That's where it hurts me. But dude, if you're a fan of rapid chess, just play all these guys at the same time. You play rapid chess uh, that way. They play classical. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Have like a special tournament. It's a round robin, but every round, Carlson plays everybody. <laughs> 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 or he plays like three people and two people have like a bye each round or something, you know, and they all rotate through him and he plays three people per day. I mean, let's, let's show off. Magnus, let's, let's like flex your rapid skills. That's, that's what I want to see. I want to see him doing some simols like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that would be a big thing. And I love the idea of having him lead Norway to the Olympiad. And if he's going to recruit somebody, it should be Dubov. So that brings up our next topic. (laughs) Goes to Jesse. What do you think of Magnus getting Dubov onto his team, even though he's Russian, even though he's maybe had some relationship with Nepo in the past as well? Um, What do you think of of Magnus' choice of having Dubov on his team or, in general, his his choices of who he puts on his team?
2: Uh, I thought, you know, it was really... First of all, from Magnus' perspective, I don't think he understood the level at which the Russians would be pissed off. Um, I think Dubov must have understood, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think Magnus actually understood. And what's interesting about his team, as I perceive it, is those guys are kind of helping him... And they're giving him some ideas, but they're not nearly as intent as a group that, for example, me and Kostya read this book about Anand's World Championship match and their team. That was a much more intense team, a much more intense team and cranking out every small detail of the opening. And that was definitely going on to some extent with Magnus, but not nearly on the level that I'm sure Nepo's team was doing it and passed. Uh, World Championship team bids have done it. It was more like, let's just give Carlson a position that he likes, and then he'll take it from there, you know? But then from um, Dubov's perspective in the Russians, it's really interesting, man, because it, this goes back to Soviet times when they were pissed at, like, Korshnoi leaving. Yeah, uh, They have a real national identity with the game, and it is not cool when somebody leaves. They They're pissed. And uh, a lot of people coming out from behind closed doors, normally you would think somebody like Karpov would just kind of maybe say something to his friends behind the wings. No, he came out. He's like, no, this is not cool. <laughs> this is not cool for Dubov to do this, man. Yeah. And it was, it, the, the backlash was intense. And I think kind of like in Soviet times, it's like he's not going to be able, they're not going to let him play for the team if, if he wanted to, you know? So I think actually this could become like in Soviet time, maybe this will push Duboff out because they're not going to give him the same opportunities that he otherwise would have had. Yeah, it's
1: it's interesting. I mean, <laughs> um,
2: on the Duboff question, for
1: me, it, it's uh, way worse that Magnus, you know, took Peter Heine Nielsen from Anant. <laughs> I mean, it's like... Uh-huh. Peter Heine was, like, Anand's, like, main second for his world championships. Yeah. And then when Anand plays Magnus, he switches over to Magnus's team. Like, to me, that's way worse, if we have a problem with it in general. Like, uh-huh. that's way worse than Dubov, like, who's worked for Magnus in the last match and worked with Magnus for, like, several years now. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> so if that's cool, no one seems to have an issue with, like, Peter Heine. And, and I think they figured it out. You know, I think... Uh, There is probably some understanding where, like, he's not going to share, you know, any of Anand's old Mm -hmm. prep or any of like Anand's like secrets or anything like that. Um, But if if that was cool, then yeah, with Dubov, it's like such a such a lesser deal. Um, Yeah, but it's uh, well, it's a bit sad that yeah, there's all this like nationalism at play. Uh, It's not like Magnus wouldn't have won the match without Dubov's help, you
2: know. Well, and I'll just say that something we're going to talk about in a future show is the idea of transferring federations. And I think it goes, the the Dubov question is related to that in the sense of like, how big of a deal is your national affiliation? You know, and I think for Americans, it's not, it's just culturally, it's not nearly as big of a deal. Uh, as for the Russians man, just yeah it's such an intense thing for them to just the idea of leaving whereas like people coming to the United States and playing for us well we'll talk about it but I think it's a different you know it's a different doesn't, doesn't have the same emotional valency not even close as to what the Russians feel you know but we'll get into that next time on the talks yeah yeah
0: I mean I think it's fine for Magnus to have Dubov work for him, and I think Dubov's a great choice of somebody to work with. Um, I think, I think that uh, you know, Magnus made that little video explaining how their team worked, as far as like you know, mm-hmm. Dubov and Jordan come up with like the idea, like the crazy ideas of youth, <laughs> and then the rest of, and then you know, and then Peter Heine and like Gustafsson try to like smash it down, you know, and like refute it, and mm-hmm. then it. Sometimes you hammer it out, and some of the ideas work. I think that all makes sense, and honestly, I think it sounded like he built, like, a really good team that functioned well for what he needed to do, and he'd worked with Dubov before, and I right, don't know. Right. It seems like a good team to me. Do you, do you guys think that his team is, um like, well-suited, aside from the from the Russia thing, do you guys feel like his team is well-suited to him and, and gets, like, the most out of his performances? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think they're a well, well-oiled machine. Like <laughs> They all know Magnus really well, and they're like very, I think, methodical and intentional about how they they prep and what kind of positions they strive for. I think we talked about this with the match last week. Like Their approach versus Caruana was v- very different to their approach uh, versus Nepo. Um, oh, and uh, speaking of Peter Heine, he did this amazing interview with uh, Chess Base India uh, mm, yeah, saw that, where so. he just kind of like goes through all the games and their strategies, and he just like doesn't really hold back um they also did one with with Potkin uh, Nepo's right. coach um though I felt like that one wasn't as as quite as revealing honestly I felt like I could have given all the same answers that Potkin did it's like yeah. <laughs> you know it's just like very straightforward like oh yeah we were trying to be solid and like oh the, losing the first game that was a big loss it, I don't know it wasn't I didn't really learn a whole lot <laughs> um, but uh, the one with Magnus's team I thought was uh was really really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, I don't know how much you guys know about um, Magnus's like sponsors or his involvement with playing Magnus or what his group is doing or anything like that. But is there any like other Magnus-related topic that you want me to let you speak on before I just wrap this up? Hmm. Let's see. So, um,
1: what? Well, I guess. Do we think Magnus is the
0: goat? <laughs> is a good <laughs> oh, that's a fair question, Coast. Yeah, that's a fair question. Yeah. All right. Um, um, I, think,
2: I think. I'll he... answer. I'll answer.
0: Yes. Yeah. Since, since you asked that question, I'll I'll be one of the answerers. I'll say yes. I think Magnus is the greatest of all time, and it's partly because I don't believe in rating inflation, and his peak rating is higher than Kasparov's and. And he maintained a very high rating for a, for a decent amount of time and uh, won several world championship matches, you know, equivalent to how long Kasparov won world championship matches. And um, yeah, uh, and, and also he's like clear number one in like Blitz and Rapid, if you want to take that into account at all. Um, I think that's also like a strength. Kasparov was not as much better than his peers in Blitz or Rapid um, as Magnus. All right,
2: I'm done. (laughs) Uh, The only thing I'll add to that is Kasparov definitely has held it longer than Magnus. I mean, Kasparov, we're talking about 84, 85 to, what was it, 2000, Yeah. right? So it's definitely longer. And also, and and this is a point Anand made, uh, that back in the day, this whole thing with, with rapid and Blitz wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. You know, so it's almost like Kasparov can't really judge Kasparov on that one. Um, but at the moment, it's hard to say he's not the greatest of all time. It's really kind of hard, but I think we're not done yet. I honestly think we're not, Magnus, we're not done yet. You're not done yet, buddy. We can't even talk, we can't even have this discussion until a couple years go by, until you retire, and then, then Jesse's going to sit down, have some tea, really think about it, and then he's going to decide. <laughs> but until you're done, Magnus, I need to see the full opus, buddy. I need to see the full opus, even if you are trending toward goat territory.
0: So by that logic, Jesse, you rate Fisher really low, right? Because he didn't stick around at all.
2: Well, I mean, the thing about Fisher, too, man, when you take that one year and, and you know, no one's come close to that year when you, after you take an inflation into account. I mean, it's just, it's too, it's too high. So if you want, I think in my head for years now, it's been Fisher, Magnus and Kasparov. You can put them in any order you might like you, I'm okay. I wouldn't, I'm not going to object. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But still, you want Magnus to keep sticking around even though he's- Magnus
2: is not done proving himself.
0: It's okay. not over yet. So once you 6-0 people, then <laughs> you don't have to stick around. You've proven yourself.
2: Well, no. I mean, obviously, Fisher blew it, dude. If, you know, Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Fisher blew it, man. If, if, if he had beaten Karpoff and then a bunch of other dudes, yeah, we'd be in a different discussion now.
1: So for me, guys, I think it's two separate questions. I think there's a question of uh, the greatest of all time, which for me is just a question of like, if you could pick one player to have on your team, like, you know, who would it be? Yeah, or if could you could pick that. one player in a match, like, who are you choosing? Mm. For me, it's like, yeah, clearly I'm going to choose Magnus. You can have anyone you want. I'll take Magnus. Like I'm very okay with that trait. Um, but then the second question is just like, okay, who is the most dominant? And That question, I think, yeah, you can definitely, you know, argue about like Kasparov and Fischer and, and I would say Magnus probably has to be a few more years of dominance before he can, like, match Kasparov. Um, maybe a more interesting question, because for me, it's, like, the greatest of all time. Yeah, it's just, like, it's Magnus until someone <laughs> someone beats him. Someone gets higher than than him. Um, maybe that'll be Faruja, but, yeah, for the moment, Magnus is, uh, yeah, it's just unbeatable. Like, who else would you take? Yeah, who
0: else What's do, you, do you take? Yeah, if you're drafting players, I would take Magnus, of course. I mean. <coughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. No question. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, um, yeah, I guess that's that's wrap for this Dota Talk. Um, if there's something about Magnus that we didn't cover, feel free to leave us a question in the comments on the YouTube version of this. Uh, we are, one of the reasons we do this show is because we're always happy to talk about chess. One of the reasons non-chess players don't like hanging out with us is because we always talk about chess. So if there's (laughs) anything we left out about Magnus, let us know. We love you all and we wish you a good day. This is it for Dojo Talks.